Have you followed all of your Soy Podcast social media accounts? Well, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Your Soy Podcast. There you can follow us and get the latest information and updates about future episodes, our website, our blog, and so much more. So go ahead. Um, make sure to go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Yo Soy Podcast. Thank you so much, and now enjoy the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Yo Soy. So before we get into the episode... I do want to remind everyone that you need to vote. So, we're recording this, you may be hearing this on the release date, which is on October 20th, which means we literally have two full weeks uh, before Election Day. So, if you haven't already, I know a lot more states now since last week are now able to vote early in person. Go make sure to do that. Make sure to mail in your ballot if you have that, and that's the process you're going to go vote. Um, and then reminder, if you don't vote early, election day is two weeks away. So make sure you have a plan um, to go and make sure to vote. Now, if you've already voted, awesome. Kudos to you. I think almost 30 million people in the United States have voted already. Um, and so if you're one of those people, congratulations. But that is not enough. So make sure to go um, not only to vote, but now go get friends, family, um, post it on social media. Make sure everyone in your life who's eligible to vote goes to the polls. Um, So make sure to do that. Make some phone banking. uh, Make some phone calls if you need to as well. So that is our voting reminder. And then I just wanted to give everyone an update too. So because of politics, it just has been made, making me think a lot about the podcast and the direction. And, and uh, you know, we have a website. So if you don't know yet, uh, you can check out our website, www.yosoypodcast.com. Um, but, you know, one of the cool features on that website is a blog. And, uh, you know, I've never really done a blog, never really put a blog out. But... This podcast, the Yosoy podcast, the idea behind it is to really amplify and get Latinx and queer voices out there um, and stories. And so first, the podcast is really the, the driving force of that. But um, we're going to be um, launching a blog soon as well through that website. So go ahead and check it out. If you go to the website, um, you can... Sign up for a newsletter. That's where we're going to um, give those updates as well about blog posts. It won't be blogs I'm going to be writing all the time. That will not happen. You don't want to hear from me constantly. But um, we'll be having guest writers and people writing about things as well. So it's a very exciting uh, development. So not only will you get the podcast, but there's also going to be some written material as well that you can engage with in the future. So stay tuned. That's a project on the horizon. I wanted to let you all know first here, uh, but definitely go to the website, check it out. If you haven't already get familiar with it and then sign up for our newsletter. That is going to be an awesome way to stay up to date with everything. 
And our guest this week is the CEO of Equality Texas, Ricardo Martinez. And I had a really great time sitting down with Ricardo and talking about the great work that Equality Texas does for LGBT rights here in Texas and the election and his history and his past. So it was a really exciting uh, and humbling experience talking with Ricardo. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Welcome to this week's episode of Yo Soy. I'm here with Ricardo Martinez uh, with Equality Texas. And so just going to let you introduce yourself, Ricardo, and, and what you do, uh, which is a lot, I think, for the state of Texas. Yeah, my name is Ricardo Martinez, and I'm the chief executive officer for Equality Texas. And Equality Texas is the largest statewide organization here in Texas that uh, works to secure full equality for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer Texans through political action, education, community organizing, and collaboration. That's fantastic. And Texas is not a small state. so It is not a small state. <laughs> it is. Have you, have you traveled from one end to the other at any point? I haven't yet, but um, my partner ended up driving my car out here from Phoenix, Arizona, uh-huh. after I moved here December 1st of last year. Uh, and it took him about 14 hours to get from Phoenix uh, to Austin, and that's maybe <laughs> half the state. And so we have a lot more to cover. I know. Here. I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So, Ricardo, you, you mentioned you uh, started with Equality Texas uh, last year, right? Uh, what yeah. brought you to Texas then? That job? Pretty much. Um, I really had no plans to be in Texas. Um, I had no plans to be in Phoenix, Arizona, for five years, but. Um, my life has just kind of taken a, a life of its own and a path, a course of its own. And um, something just showed up in my inbox. Someone asked me to apply for the job. And um, four and a half months later, after the search, um, right. you know, it was presented to me. And here I am. Awesome. Well, welcome to Texas and Austin. Um, a, a year late, but, you know, welcome. And so I want to ask, so what got you interested into politics and, and your work that you've done? Because I think your your record and what you've done in the past couple of years is, is very much for the community, right? And so what has got you, what drew you that interest? Um, I'm over analytical, so I'm going to go real deep on this one. Right. Um, there are a couple of things, right? Number one, I think my my family has always been involved in some way in service, right? My my grandmother was heavily involved in her church and every other church. She's a busybody, so she would go from church to church helping out, volunteering. My mom has like a prayer circle to this day every Tuesday, so she has always um, been of service to her community in different ways, um, mostly through mutual aid. Uh, informal ways of helping her community, uh, undocumented folks connecting them to jobs and stuff in New York City. Um, and for me, it was, I think, in sixth grade when I went through a program called Council for Unity um, that taught mindfulness, that talked about uh, conflict resolution in sixth grade. Um, and we had a lot of field trips to different organizations, and one of them was the uh, gay men's health crisis where I learned about just mission related work and that that was a possibility for myself. And uh, it just kind of stuck. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. And so did you, where did you grow up then? Um, I know you've, you, you said you were in Phoenix for a little bit of time. Where was before then? Where did you grow up? 
I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I was born oh. in Mexico City, and on my sixth birthday, um, I moved to Brooklyn, and I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. I went to public school 101. Um, so yeah, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. That's fantastic, Brooklyn. I love New York. I've visited a few times. I'm like, you know, that's a well. And did that growing up in New York did that play any role in kind of that? I assume there's a lot more, a lot of diversity, right? And a lot of, you know, people like us, right? People like us. And so I, I wonder, did that play a role in, in shaping who you are today? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, you know, New York is really diverse, and there's a lot of different. Um, people that you get to learn culturally while you're in school about those differences and the things that make you unique. Um, but there's also people segregate themselves, right? Really well. And there's different enclaves of people. Um, and so I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, which was traditionally a, a very Italian neighborhood um, that was, and in New York, you can go from one street to the next and it'll be a completely different population a complete um different cultural experience and so uh, i was growing up in bensonhurst brooklyn during uh race riots that occurred which is why council for unity the organization um that i was a part of in sixth grade was founded um as a as a as a response to those race riots right because um there was a teacher that just wanted to make sure that um we found another way outside of violence to resolve differences. Um, and so I grew up in a neighborhood that was pretty homogenous in terms of people, but I had access to different cultures the moment I stepped out of that neighborhood, uh, which was really great. I would, we were the only Hispanic family on our block growing up. Oh, wow. Wow. That's fascinating. And so did that, you know, when you go outside of that neighborhood, are you, you seeing, other diverse, like other Hispanics, uh, like people like you, what, what was kind of that situation, right? I'll tell you, my parents did not let us go out very far, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> my parents were super protective. And, you know, when, and I didn't understand why when I was younger, um, I do understand now, right? We were undocumented people until mm -hmm. we began the process for citizenship here and naturalization, right? And so for my parents, it was a scary thought to allow your children to go out and venture beyond your neighborhood, right? But they never conveyed that to us. So for me, it was just like my parents are being overtly strict for absolutely no reason. I had no concept of what being undocumented meant and the dangers around that, right? And mm -hmm. I, I love my parents for protecting us to a certain degree. Um, and I don't know that we would have been able to comprehend at such a young age, right? But we really were um, only in Bensonhurst on our block, on our corner to school and back. And that was a couple of blocks. Gotcha. I really did not venture out unless it was through a school field trip to uh, watch some plays and on Broadway field trips to like the zoo. And those were, um, you know, chaperoned by other parents or uh, school personnel. So, um, oftentimes I remember going to the beach and seeing different people, I, I went to Coney Island pretty often um, and just being very curious about the world around me. Um, moving from Mexico City to New York, I remember the shift, right? Because going from Mexico City and knowing all that your entire life to all of a sudden seeing people that look vastly different from you right. um, was pretty shocking. Um, but, you know, we had exposure to other students uh, from different backgrounds within the school setting. So, 
Right. And I mean, you remember that as a six, like six years old, right? Like I talk to people because yeah. um, I work in the child welfare system and you just hear people, like, oh, well, kids know that or kids feel that they know or remember that transition or those changes, even at such a young age. Oh, I remember vividly. I remember walking into the airport and it was my birthday. So everyone came to give me gifts, but we were leaving, right? We were getting on oh, wow. an airplane. My mom prepped us with like, if the flight attendants ask you about your father, you're to tell them this, right? We practice and rehearse before we got on that plane. Like we weren't allowed to talk to anybody. Um, and we had one ginormous suitcase that my mom couldn't carry that we couldn't help her with. Um, so it was, it was intense. I remember really yeah. well. And how does that experience sort of, shape the work that you do now right and so having had that experience growing up and moving from mexico city to new york and then now leading kind of equality texas how does that shape your experience and and you you know growing up in new york as great as it was in terms of diversity and access to people you still go through some really vile racist stuff right so for me it was always about understanding in a deep sense, like what gets people there uh, and what makes folks want to treat someone less than uh, and the idea of being of service to your community and making your community better for me has always been kind of my go to my north star. And I just trusted that if I continue to do good for my community, it'll just point me in the right direction. Right? I, I never really had um, this plan of who I wanted to become. It was more of I have clarity of purpose. Right. I see these injustices around me. I'm going to show up for the little guy or I'm going to show up for the little person um, who is or someone that needs help. Right. Um, I remember maybe being 14 or 15 and seeing um, a woman trying to get through the turnstile at, to access the subway and the being berated by the person that worked at the MTA because she didn't speak English and she didn't know how to use a Metro card. And I just remember being so angry at 15 or 16 that I told her, I was like, instead of like making her feel like crap, you could just help her, right? Helping her takes less time than berating her in front of people and making her feel less than, right? So like, why don't you just help her? Um, and I think that's when I, experiences like that helped me recognize my individual power and that I could actually do something on behalf of other people. And I just trusted that instinct and that gut that like this, this feels right this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm just going to continue to do it. That's fantastic. And, and then Ricardo, um, so then when you were in New York, when did you, did you come out? When did you come out and through that process, you know, with your family as well, how was that experience? So I feel very lucky, right? So I tell this story all the time when we were, I think 14, 12 and 11, my parents called us into our living room for our first ever, and to this day, the only ever family meeting that we ever had. And they said, you're, you're all getting close to becoming teenagers, if not uh, already teenagers. And we want you to know that if you decide to be gay, and clearly they were not great on language, but if you decide to be gay, like we're, we, we love you anyway, and we want you to know that, right? And I remember turning to my brother and my sister, and I didn't really get why they would tell us that. And I didn't really understand what gay was. I was still like 11 and 12 and we were really, um, we were sheltered, right? So we didn't necessarily know a lot of things 
Uh, they monitored my parents' our TV consumption. So to a certain degree, we didn't necessarily know, right? And the next day we had pamphlets about what it means to be LGBTQ on top of our TV. Oh, wow. uh, and so we, were, we felt pretty supported, right? We have gay uncles on both sides of our family. Um, and so I did not come out despite that really positive like introduction to um, identity did not come out until I was 24. My brother came out when he was 12. Oh, wow. And so um, I waited until, you know, until my sister had a kid. And I think the pressure was off of me uh, to be the, <laughs> the one and only heir, um, provide an heir to my parents. And so I think I was 24 when I came out. Wow, that's awesome. That, that yeah. is a really good – I feel like the way your parents did it should just be in the book of this is how every parent should just, you know, talk about it that way at that age, you know? Yeah. Pretty, pretty it, fantastic. I mean, at the time, it didn't help me, right? I was still mortified that, right. I, that I was, like, having these feelings and that I, I felt very different. And their words didn't sink in. I don't think that I was ready to receive them, right? Had I right. been 17 or 18 years old, and they told me that I think I would have broken down and cried because of how deeply I would have felt those words and how seen, right? And I don't even think that I recall those words when I was 17 or 18 struggling through my identity, right? right. Um, I was only able to go back to that date when I was older and I was traveling a lot for Glisten um, and meeting parents who had questions about their child's identity or how they can support them or how angry they were um, because of, you know, how their child identified that I was able to go back and say, like, I really appreciate my parents for that meeting. And I didn't know just how life changing it would be at the time. Right. That's an amazing story. And so Ricardo, you've traveled, you know, from Northeast to like the West to like, Austin South or like Texas South or the South, you know, and so you've kind of gone around and been in different, been a part of different LGBTQ communities in, in different, you know, areas of the country. I, I want to ask what, what's a common theme or what's a common thread that you just see in different places you've moved and lived in and worked in, um, in those LGBT communities? Let me think. In New York, I knew that I needed to leave New York to really create change, right? Because in New York, New York is one of the most progressive states. So for me to continue championing LGBTQ rights, it's like preaching to the choir, right? And I don't necessarily think it's easy, right? Because there are people upstate that are very different than folks in the city. And they're, you know, you want to continue drum beating the importance of equality. Um, but I wanted to do it in a, in a state that that wasn't the case, right? So for me, when I moved to Arizona, part of the part of what was attractive about going to Arizona is that I could bring my talents to a state that was maybe red, purple-ish at the time, right? Wow. Or on the verge of um, maybe shifting its landscape to maybe a, a more supportive landscape. And I think um, one of the things that's common across all of them is that there are people in each of the states that I've lived in that are incredibly passionate about this work and that have made their mission um, to really champion equality. And that makes me feel great. And, you know, I think to myself, my, 
my story when I was so I grew up in Florida and in Florida at the time I'm, I'm very was heavily involved in politics in Florida and growing up I didn't come out until I think it was around maybe 22 is when I came out right and so I saw the fact that there was no Latino and let alone gay out you know elected official right at least in the state of Florida at the time and it was like oh there's no place for me right now, you know, or there's no place. And so I want, I want to ask kind of speaking to that little boy I'm thinking of back in, in the day, you know, where, what has changed in, in that time frame in 10 or plus years? And is there a place at the table for out Latinx individuals in politics? And, and what are your thoughts on, on that? You you remind me. I um, recently had to do a Fed talk. It's kind of like a TED talk. It's a five mm-hmm. to seven minute um, presentation conversation about uh, a topic. I, I chose uh, heart centeredness um, for the Equality Federation. I presented it to them, and you know, I think one of the most powerful things for me being in this position, and I'll get to your question in a second, yeah. is the fact that there are going to be other kids out there who are black and brown who are going to see me and know that this is possible for them, right? And right. that to me is incredibly important. Uh, but number two, I think uh, me being in this position, I think is um, transformational for folks that like look like me, right? I think for me in New York, I, didn't, I don't think that I had a, a ton of um, folks to look up to that looked like me or that mirrored my identity back at me. And I think politics has never been something that I wanted to get involved with. I knew that mission related work um, was something that I wanted to do, right? But I think that there is space for anyone that wants to uh, do this work in a capacity, whether it's advocacy, whether it's organizing, whether it's politics, I think power, your individual power and how you choose to exercise it is completely dependent up and up to you, right? So for me, it's more on the advocacy side. It's more on the mission-related work, less than politics, right? That's not to say that I wouldn't ever run for office, but I don't. Um, that's not what drives me. What drives me is connecting with people, doing this mission-based work, and you know, hoping that others um, that are seeing me and a lot of folks of color who are doing incredible work and in positions of power across Texas. They see this emergence of uh, new leadership that is really reflective um, of people of color. Uh, and what now, through your experience, what would you tell your younger self? That's something I ask a lot of people. No. What would you tell your younger self after having the experience that you have now? <laughs> what would you say to your 16-year-old self when you were struggling in that in those moments? I would tell them to begin to undo a lot of the oppression, the self-oppression, right? The internalized oppression that we um, put onto ourselves, right? And to be unapologetically myself and authentic and to stop performing um, of how I believe that society wants me to show up, right? I think it's only when I stop performing for people that I began to be the most successful that I've ever been, right? Because that puts you kind of in alignment with what your life purpose is supposed to be. And when you're showing up uh, and acting for other people, um, 
you really aren't being authentically yourself. And so I think that brings people out of tune. Uh, and then you don't really know who you are. And I, I tell people to embrace your queerness, embrace like your oddities. Like I can be a really odd guy, right? Like I, I'm incredibly goofy, but it, that can be really disarming for some folks. And that plays to, to my advantage and is part of my individual power. And so when you meant you mentioned internalized oppression, can you for those who are listening who may not know what what do you mean by internalized oppression? You want to Yeah, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, right? So for me, beauty standards were white folks, right? right? The people that I grew up with. So, and I didn't look like that. So I held myself to that standard and really have been my hardest um I guess judge um on myself right and so for me it was just more about undoing that undoing or redoing deconstructing those things and reconstructing my beauty standards for myself um also thinking about like why do i act in this way right like why am i showing up in this way meaning um what what does professionalism mean to me and why right and why can't i show up in this way that ricardo wants to show up um and it's just really um being mindful of how you're showing up and why you're showing up in the way that you do. Right. Um, and it, it requires a lot of reflection. It requires a lot of empathy and compassion for yourself. Right. Because we end up, and I love this and I don't know where I learned this, but I've carried this with me for the longest time, which is we spend the majority of our adult life undoing the traumas that we mm-hmm. experience as children. Right? right. And so we are unwilling to, be reflective enough and honest enough about the traumas you experience, you're never going to undo them. Right. right. And you're going to limit yourself and your success. Right. And that's, that's powerful. Right. And I think as, as a community, as, as, you know, queer individuals, as his Latinos, um, as just every, you know, all of these things, we deal with a lot of that trauma and internalized oppression quite often. Right. Like I, I love your story because even when your parents are so like the the quintessential accepting like hey if you're gay it's okay you know at like such a young age there was still that struggle right it would didn't make it go away it still was there and i think that's really important to acknowledge for people who are listening that's okay you know that's part of it yeah i mean i remember back to when i was in second grade or third grade you know, I was a really emotional kid, right? And I was really sensitive. And because I was really sensitive and I, I got picked on and I got called the F word, right? Pretty often. And that, you know, has an impact on your spirit. And to say that it doesn't really does you a disservice because right. those words, words become things, right? And they become internalized. They, they can become depression. They can become whatever, right? And for me, it was just really important to like, verbalize that at some point in my life, right? Like these are the things that I experience and they're not going to take ownership of any space in my body or my mind, right? I'm giving them no, no space in here and I'm just moving forward. It happened. I don't live in that trauma and I'm moving beyond it. Right. Right. And so I want to ask, cause we've, we've been in this gloomy state of affairs in the last <laughs> I don't know how many months, right? Like it's just, you know, time is irrelevant at this point, but um, 
what is something that has inspired you recently? What's something that's been inspiring to you? I tend to go back to uh, Oprah Super Soul Sunday episodes. I don't know if you listen to yes, that. Yes, I will. Yes. Uh, anytime that I'm feeling down or blue, like I honestly turn on Oprah and Super Soul Sundays and I have yeah. like go to uh, podcasts um, that I've heard multiple times that I, I am just like in love with. Um, so those are the things that inspire me. Most recently, I th- yesterday we had a, a meeting with our Corpus Christi steering committee and it was a, a college student who had worked um, in advocacy with Equality Texas who was sharing their story and their advocacy journey about how our organization impacted her and allowed her uh, the freedom to express herself um, and her identity publicly without shame. And it was very just courageous. Um, and I don't think that she understood how courageous it is. Uh, so we tried to reflect it back to her. And that that really inspired me. That's fantastic. That's awesome. And I think things like that, it's, it's nice to hear those, those things that are inspiring us, right? Those things. And cause I think it's hard it can be gloomy. It can be hard during the pandemic and everything that's going on that it's important to remember those bright spots. Oh, you know what? There's another thing that inspired me. So I had a conversation with my mom. So one of the best things that has come out of coronavirus is that I have been able to talk to people in a way that I haven't in the past, right? Spend an hour or two hours just chit chatting because we had nothing else to do, right? So I called my mom and I asked her pointed questions for the first time. And me and my mom are really close and we're really good friends, but I've never talked to her like I would talk to a friend, right? And so one of the things that I have always wondered was my mom's life is defined by sacrifice, right? She left everything. She was a, she was a nurse in Mexico City. She had um, a good job. She had all her family there, but she left just for the chance that her children would have a, a chance at a better education, right? There was no guarantee that we would do anything with our lives, but she decided that it was a worthy um, sacrifice to just leave everything and come here. And I, and she, you know, she cleaned houses and she went from a nurse to just doing anything that she could to make money. Right. Um, and I asked her finally, I was like, do you, do you regret it? Right. Because you sacrifice everything for us. Huh. Do you regret leaving? And she said, no, I regret not being able to spend more time with y'all because I was working so much. Huh. And that to me was mind blowing one, but two, just incredibly inspiring that you, that your life could be defined by sacrifice. Yet you would think that it was 100% worth it. Yeah. That's amazing. And that, and that one, your mother sounds like a fantastic person. You know, um, two, I, you know, I, I think of our community, how many individuals come here to this country because of that sacrifice. Right. And and then you have a president or someone who, you know, belittles that or, you know, you know, puts kids in cages and just all of that stuff, the opposite. And and so I I wonder, I want to ask you, because people are talking about this election as, a, you know, the election we have coming up in a few months, 77, 76 days, who's counting? Um, where, why is it an election that is, you know, people always say it's the election of our lifetime and you hear that almost every, you know, four years. Is that different 
now? Is is it truly the election of our lifetime? Um, and why is this election so important? Yeah, I mean, I think every election is an, an election for our lifetime, right? Because if you're not paying attention, like I always think about the long game, right? And back in 2016, we knew that this was a possibility, right? Where we are now. If you were paying attention to politics, if you knew even uh, some of the landscape and how things were shaping out, you knew that this was a possibility, right? This is a more urgent um, election than I think ever before, but every single election needs to be taken with this seriousness and this urgency, right? But um, I, I mean, I do, I, the reason why I think it is so urgent is because going back to one of the things that I learned in Super Soul Sunday, right? We have no North Star right now. We don't necessarily have an identity as a, as a country anymore. And I think what defined my experience growing up with this country was that this was uh, a land of uh, possibility and opportunity, right? And despite our differences, people still came together, right? I was in New York City when 9-11 happened and I saw people gather and yeah, there were some negative implications and folks um, had some terrible experiences, but you know, as soon as something happened, we all came together, right? And to do what was best for the folks who were kind of on the front lines. And that's the stuff that I go back to, that, that that's the fabric of who we are as a, as, a, as a country. And this is about what what are we prioritizing here? And I think, you know, we need to bring back empathy and compassion and the soul of this country and um, respectful discourse and deliberation and conflict resolution without canceling people, um, all of those things. So I, I do think it's an urgent one. I think every election is urgent, um, but this one primarily, um, this is really the one of our lifetime because it's so important, because this one's gonna define who we are. And so now that you, you've been in the role that you're in now at Equality Texas for almost a year, what do you see um, the future? What do, you, what do you want to be working on in the future with Equality Texas? We're going to go into our strategic planning process probably in October to look you know, forward three to five years of where we want this organization to be. Uh, I've always believed that nonprofit organizations be belong to the people that they serve, right? And so for me, I just want to get that right. I want to make sure that our programs are prioritizing the needs of our communities across Texas, right? We have eight people on our staff um, that are in charge of and trusted with um, moving this, this organization, uh, serving Texans in a ginormous state, um, right. right? So I, I don't think that we have the internal capacity to to really show up in a meaningful way unless we have more people, right? So for me, it's about amping up our fundraising, hiring more field staff, uh, having more people on the ground when it is possible to do in-person uh, events and really connecting with folks, finding out what, what it is that they need. Um, it's like having eight little states in one ginormous state, right? So depending right. on region. And so I, we wanna get it right. Um, we also wanna develop leaders across Texas that are able to, um, take the skills that they learn from Equality Texas and create change locally, right? Whether they choose to do it with Equality Texas or for other organizations, what we want is a robust movement here in Texas that really prioritizes the needs of the LGBTQ uh, community and that we make 
change, but sustainable change, right? Um, right. But at the at the at the local level, folks are continuing to to drumbeat the importance of LGBTQ equality. Right, and so it is it is inspiring. Yeah. You know, I wasn't saying like you know when you hear stories like the one you were talking about in Corpus Christi, or you know of young people really moving this movement or really getting it, you know, involved more than, you know, ever, I think is really exciting and, and inspiring and, and motivating in that way. Yeah. I mean, I worked for Glisten for about four years and then I was the chair of their uh, Phoenix chapter. And some of the most inspiring things that I have learned as an adult came from youth. And, right. and so I always get very curious when youth tell me like, this is why you should do X. I re I really ask pointed questions as like, why, right? Why is it necessary? Tell me more. Um, because I've, I know that when you give space for people to formulate their ideas and then bounce off of each other there, that's where innovation happens. Right. And that's right. where I get to learn the most. So for me, it's like, I had this urgency to get out there to talk to more people and this, obviously you can do it in zoom, right. But you lose a lot of the connection piece. Um, and the human component of developing relationships with people and showing up in real time um, where they are. Right, 100%. And so what is something, Ricardo, that people listening may not know about you that you want them to know about you? May not know about me, but they should know about me. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I have a couple of things. Um, number one, I love Christina Aguilera more than anything in the world. Uh, like, yeah. listening that can connect me directly to Christina, to Christina. <laughs> I am a fighter, um, and I will always talk about Christina Aguilera. I love you are lucky that it's not on my uh, <laughs> staff bio on our Equality Texas page, but it was my previous employer. Um, so that's been a dream of mine to to like meet her uh, right. at some point in the in the near future, hopefully. Um, but something that you don't know about me, what I want people to know about me, I'll reframe your question because what I want people to know about me is that I really am in um, in it for the right reasons, right? Like I want to create sustainable change. I want to do good for our community. I'm committed to to learning um, always. Um, I can't. And I want people to know that I didn't get here by myself, right? There was a lot of kindness and compassion and um, people that had influence in my life. They got me to this point and intervened at different pivotal uh, milestones uh, along my journey that allowed me to navigate in this direction, right? And I think there's always an opportunity for a second or a third chance. And I want people to know that, uh, that I didn't get here by myself. I asked for help when I... Um, when I needed it, people were incredibly generous and kind to me throughout my life um, and pointed me in this direction. And to this day, they continue to be. Fantastic. And uh, one kind of last couple of questions I have is about the state of Texas. And, you know, have you seen it even in the time that you've been here, it being more purple than people are saying, you know, is it purple? Is it a red? Is it, you know, has it always just been purple? And my thinking is just people are feeling like, oh, my voice does matter right now or or something like that. What are your thoughts on on that thought? I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> One of the things that I've learned from very many people that I trust here is that Texas is not a 
red state. It's a non-voting state, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so if we were to turn out people to vote, I think you would know um, that we're kind of, we're in a much different space, right? Um, I think people need to under, understand uh, their individual power. I think we need to do a lot of work to make people feel less disenfranchised than they are now uh, and make inroads and have them uh, as active participants in democracy, right? Um, people are jaded and you can't really, you can't really blame them for it when um, agencies, uh, government institutions haven't really done what they're meant to do to serve people and to uplift people, right? So I can't blame them for that. All I can do is uh, be a part in helping them re-engage in some way and to believe, right? And to kind of reinstill hope in people. Um, I think that's number one. I think in terms of LGBTQ issues, the majority of Texans believe that discrimination is wrong against LGBTQ people, right? We're at 70-30. That is uh, a very different picture of Texas that I had, right? Coming here from Arizona and coming here from New York. So for me, I am operating as though we have uh, majority support. And that gives me, I don't know, drive and confidence and determination to make something wonderful happen uh, here in Texas over the course of the next couple of years. That's fantastic, Ricardo. Well, and if someone's listening and they want to get involved or if they want to know more about um, Equality Texas, where should they go um, or you know, on social media or website? Yeah, if you want to get involved, um, you can go to our website, equalitytexas.org. Um, there's a, a menu at the top of the page under Get Involved. Um, you'll see attend an event, and that lists every opportunity that we have to engage with us. Um, and then our Facebook page, obviously, um, will have any and every um, update that you can possibly need or want. Um, you can register to receive emails, uh, action alerts, um, event notifications uh, directly from the website as well. So um, that's probably the best way to do it. Fantastic, Ricardo. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me and chatting. I know we're going to have a another part, uh, or a second part of the series. You want to tell us a little bit about that, what that will look like? Yeah, we're going to deep dive in all things legislative session 2021. So a sneak peek in what we know is coming down the pike, what we can expect, and um, how people can plug in and help us. Fantastic. I'm, I'm excited about that conversation, Ricardo. Um, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, us getting to know you a bit. You got it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yo Soy. And don't forget that you can help support this podcast by going to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Yo Soy Podcast. There you can sign up for as little as $3 a month to help grow this podcast and support it, and you'll also get exclusive content available to Patreon subscribers. Again, thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, el amor es lo más importante en el mundo. Muah.